I find this scientifically fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the Great Robot Wars. And Peter Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in 3, 2, 1. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to Real People of Orange County, and I'm your host, Kimberly Martin. This show is a fun and informative look inside the lives of Orange County's best and brightest. These are people who serve their community in a meaningful capacity on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Well, hello. I am back in the studio today, and it feels really good. I um, I, I took a little hiatus. I, I, uh, I'm not going to go into why because it's boring when people start talking about their their aching muscles and bad backs and stuff like that. But um, I am back in the studio and very happy to be here. Um, I was listening to my intro and I, I love it. Um, Heather helped me make it, but I don't know. It took me, what, oh, 30 seconds to write and it just came together so quickly and I... I wanted to reflect on that saying where I said, these are people serving their community in a meaningful capacity. And I'm always so honored every time somebody sits across this um, this table here, this, this board where we manage all the sound and whatnot in the studio, and tells me their story. It's not easy to tell your story because most of us are too busy living our stories. And some of us have really important reasons to be out there telling our story, whether we want to be telling it or not. Uh, some people are, are happy to share their craft, and others are propelled into um, their story, uh, usually sometimes through um, through something, uh, an awful tragedy. And um, I'm, always, I'm always really honored to be around somebody who's able to pull their life back together and tell the story that had to be told. And um, I think it requires courage to listen. And so I welcome you to be on this journey with us today to listen to a story that nobody wanted to have to tell. But because of because of the story, we're going to learn how we can all participate in doing something better and different and to protect ourselves and uh, the lives of our loved ones. So with that being said, I'd like to introduce you to my guest today, which is uh, Charles Black. Um, he told me it rhymes with heck. <laughs> Boy, that helps, um, especially when you get my age. <laughs> Little mnemonic devices. And we are going to talk about um, gun violence today. And so um, a little backstory about, uh, we're going to call him Charlie on our interview because that's what he goes by. Uh, he is the, the, um, the member, a member of the Brady Campaign to Prevent Gun Violence. He is the president of the Orange County Chapter. And uh, he was named, um, I think you know a little backstory on the Brady Campaign, um, was named in honor of Jim Brady, 
uh, Jim Brady was the press secretary of President Reagan and was seriously wounded during um, President Reagan's assassination attempt. And he and his wife uh, created the largest national grassroots organization to work for the prevention of gun violence. Now, Charlie was the founding member of and founding president of our Orange County chapter here. And um, we're going to learn more about that today. Um, Charlie's going to share his personal story, which uh, propelled him into this discussion. And um, just a little backstory about Charlie. He is an attorney by trade, although him being an attorney has nothing to do, his practice has nothing to do with his work with gun violence, but I believe because of it, he's been able to be so effective with um, with legislating and helping uh, bring about information and awareness with this cause. He was honored for his work by Loyola Law School, the Law Center to Prevent Gun Violence, and um, the Brady Center to Prevent Gun Violence. And um, we welcome him here today to talk about our Second Amendment rights and also to learn um, learn about uh, what we can do to protect ourselves in the future and some legislation that we probably need to know about. So welcome, uh, Charlie Black. Thank you for coming. Well, thank you. That was a very gracious introduction. <laughs> and it's my pleasure to be here. Well, um, you come highly regarded, so oh, thank you. <laughs> you've been a part of KUCI, I understand, and uh, I feel very welcome to be part of a community that wants to give airtime to such important causes that we're facing today. So um, take me back, if you would, to uh, June 1994 and tell me um, how you got to this place that propelled you into the situation. On a journey that no other parent would ever want to take, Kimberly. Um, we received a telephone call early morning. Our son, Matthew, was an honor student. He was an honors math and physics major. Uh, between his junior and senior year, he traveled to New York City to enjoy the Big Apple, and he was having the time of his life. He was an undefeated high school wrestling champion. He loved the guitar and the violin. He uh, enjoyed magic tricks because he never wanted a little one to not be smiling. He was just a really neat young man. And uh, he had met some folks in high school and they were one of the gals was at the Juilliard back in New York and invited him back and he was having a wonderful summer back there. And we received a call from a New York detective with four short sentences. Uh, your son was the victim of a robbery he did not offer resistance. He was shot. He is deceased. And that turned our whole life upside down. Silly me, I thought when I turned our car keys over to our uh, youngsters when they were 19, 17 or 18, that that was the biggest threat. And uh, I not only was wrong, Kimberly, I was dead wrong. And the greatest threat to our young people here is not auto accidents, it's not drugs. It's gun violence, and we need to come to grips with that. We need to understand that a gun is simply a consumer product. It's not the holy grail, and we need to be able to do things to protect ourselves and our families from the misuse and the recklessness. So that thrust us into it. Uh, from that, we started a, a nonprofit, and we went to a number of different conferences. Um, I attended an organization called POMC that I hope people who are listening don't recognize those call letters because it stands for Parents of Murdered Children. Uh, we 
My wife and I have been fortunate enough to be involved at the local, state, and national level, and even my wife has been invited and has uh, spoken at the United Nations on two different occasions for a small arms treaty worldwide. And uh, people say, and I get really upset with a district attorney when they go on television, they say, well, if they get a conviction, they'll say, oh, now our family has closure. Please understand that that word does not exist in a victim's family's vocabulary. But what we're doing is a positive thing in our lives. It creates a hope for healing. And we have two other children that we need to look out for also. So, um, and they're doing well, and I'm proud of them. And quite frankly, I'm extremely proud of the work that we've been able to accomplish. I'm so thankful that you share such a difficult story. And out of it, it's so important for people to listen in and understand. Um, you know, gosh, man, I have three kids and I love living in the bubble. And um, the bubble is something I work very hard to create for them and for our family. And it's like you said, we're on the precipice of handing some car keys to a child and nothing scares me more right now. But you're right. It is the least of our worries, isn't it? Well, we lived in a gated, guarded community in Mission Viejo, California at the time. And uh, we were very active. I was president of our high school football boosters club and so on. And my wife did a tremendous amount of volunteer work. And that thought, and it should have been in our mind, but it never did because our kids go to concerts, they travel, they're with other friends, they're at locations where we simply don't have that control that we would like to have. Yeah, and you, you don't realize that what you're giving up control of until a story like this hits home. Uh, it's not easy to share a story like this, but can we know or understand a little bit more about what happened that? Yeah, um, there were three 15-year-olds, and they had something called a junk gun or a Saturday night special. And the galling part of that, uh, Kimberly, was that 80% of those guns at that time were made right here in Southern California within a 50-mile radius of where you and I are sitting right now. And at that time, eight out of the 10 most confiscated guns at crime scenes were Saturday night specials. And uh, there was a double homicide that night. Uh, there was a decorated Marine Corps veteran who was the father of two. He was a con ed worker in New York. And these kids jumped up on the running board of his rig and blew him away. And then as my son was walking a date home, and before they disappeared into the subway system, they came out of the shadows and put a gun to my son's head and killed him. Um, he was a college student. He had no money. They had $12 on him at the time. Uh, they didn't attempt to take any money. They didn't attempt to take any of his belongings. They simply took his life. And for no good reason. For no, well, I mean, that, uh, I would be going along in my car. And generally it's something on the radio that uh, sets me off. And I would uh, cry, and I'm not embarrassed to say that I would cry. And I used to look around, and I would think, gee, I wonder what other people who are watching me right now think. And then I got to the point, Kimberly, where I really didn't care what they thought, because that was me and my emotions, and that's what I needed to do to help express it. Yeah, I um, sitting across from Charlie here, he's got the most dynamic smile and just such a beautiful, gregarious face. Um like you said, nobody wants to even know what POMC stands for. And, um, and I, I think it's important that we 
understand a little bit more about why these types of stories even have to come to play for people. What are some of the forces in our society that are aligning to make circumstances of this so common? Well, first of all, politically, we have a very short memory, and that's unfortunate. And then we have a a NIMBY, not in my backyard. And so people will say, well, thank God, but for the grace of God. But then they go ahead with their own lives. And unfortunately, um, Kimberly, we have a very well-funded and very uh, politically savvy opposition. And that opposition, unfortunately, is an organization called the National Rifle Association. Mm -hmm. Um, Put this in the proper context. We have probably 100 million gun owners in the United States. Four million of those folks belong to the National Rifle Association. And there is a disconnect now because when the National Rifle Association started, it was for gun safety and hunters and so on. And now, unfortunately, they have a board that is dominated by gun manufacturer reps. And it's interesting. Um, A former United States Supreme Court Chief Justice, Warren Burger, and if we were labeling judges, which we have a tendency to do now, he would be considered a staunch conservative. And what he said, and I want to quote former Justice uh, Chief Justice Burger, he said, I was raised on a farm and we had guns around the house all the time. So I'm not against guns. But the National Rifle Association has done one of the most amazing jobs of misrepresenting and misleading the public. And Kimberly, I have no quarrel with that quote. Uh, For example, what really is the NRA and where are we going with this group? And all we have to look at is the um, Gabby Gifford shooting, the Sandy Hook, the overwhelming cry for universal background checks, The public polls showed that 90% of the American public wanted universal background checks. California, we have that. doesn't interfere with gun sales at all. All you have to do is drive by the Orange County Fairgrounds in a weekend that the gun show is in town, and you see the mass of people there. But in California, we don't want a convicted felon or somebody who has a mental issue to be possessing guns. So we have a universal background check, whether it's at a gun show or whatever. 90% of the American people wanted that. 80% of the National Rifle Association's rank and file wanted that. And yet the leadership there was so adverse to that, they wouldn't even let that come to a discussion on the House's floor. And when you have that kind of a disconnect, you have that difficulty. Right, because then the debate is not taking place. It's It's just not 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 taking place. Mm -hmm. And what you have to understand is that historically, we really shouldn't have the normal, well, let me put this in context. When I first started, some of our Orange County representatives, which I'm thankful now are becoming dinosaurs, and that's my personal private opinion here, <laughs> uh, would say things like, well, I believe in the Second Amendment without really understanding what it actually stood for or what it meant. Well, So let's take some time. I think that would be a great public service to spend some time with the Second Amendment. I'd love to do that. Um, First of all, it started back in 1939 with the Miller case, and I went back and looked at my law books and, that were in the 60s, and not a single word in my constitutional law book, which was a full year, one-year course, had a word about the Second Amendment. 
So having done some research, and I was fortunate enough to have been published by the American Bar Association on the Second Amendment, I was pretty well up to date that for 70-plus years, a well-regulated militia, militia meant National Guard, and we went from there. And then in 2008 and then on to 2010, our U.S. Supreme Court said, well, for all these years, you folks have been misunderstanding what the word militia means. It really means individual. That's fine. So what they said specifically is they said that we have a right, you and I, to have a handgun in our home for the purpose of self-defense. That's exactly what they said. No more, no less. But they also made some other very cogent comments. They said that uh, the, the amendment protects only a limited right and does not protect, quote, a right to keep and carry any weapon whatsoever, in any manner whatsoever, and for whatever purpose. And if you listen to the rhetoric that the NRA gives us, they say it over and over and over again, and we start believing it just because of their repetition. And the Supreme Court specifically denied that. So that's number one. Now, the next thing we have to keep an eye on is the phrase well-regulated. I mean, we understand that we have a right to free speech, First Amendment. But that doesn't give us the right to walk into a crowded uh, movie theater and yell fire when there is none. So there are even limitations on First Amendment rights. The Second Amendment, the Supreme Court in this decision, this is Heller and McDonald. Heller was a Washington, D.C. case, but because D.C. is not a state, that was in 2008. Then they had to refile a case out of Illinois, the McDonald case, which came before the Supreme Court in 2010. Same basic rhetoric in both decisions. But what the Supreme Court told us, Kimberly, was, one, these are constitutionally valid regulations, and they gave us examples. We can prohibit firearm possession by felons and mentally ill, which we do in California. We can forbid guns in sensitive places, such as schools and government buildings. And it always amazes me, Kimberly, when we have a legislature or a government agency that will say, oh, we can have guns in bars and we can have guns here and there, but they never allow guns in their government buildings where they have to go to work. I mean, the hypocrisy there just stands out. And we can regulate the commercial sale of firearms. And these were all areas that the U.S. Supreme Court identified as constitutionally valid regulations. They also noted that the Second Amendment is consistent with a ban on dangerous and unusual weapons. And in California, we have banned 50 caliber rifles. They also said we can regulate the storage of firearms to prevent accidents. And we've moved forward in that area. And what's really important is that California has the strongest gun laws in the United States. And over the past 20 years, our gun mortality rate has been reduced by 52%. The reason that's important, Kimberly, is that's 24% greater than the national average. Mm. So what we're doing in California makes a difference. And I feel like what we have done with the Brady campaign and with our friends and associates throughout the state, we have made a substantial difference. That's wonderful to hear. Um, So as we're defining and explaining the Second Amendment, Where are some of the areas where you're seeing it's really being taken out of context, especially in regards to the NRA? Uh, Very simply, with the National Rifle Association, the great monolith tells us over and over again that 
you have a constitutional right to have a gun, and they will say anywhere, any place, any time, for any reason. And we just know that's not true. We go back to uh, our Chief Justice's quote that they're misleading and misrepresenting. And that's a shame. And so we need they to have, call them on it. Okay. So they have the ability to put the word out there in such a strong capacity. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was interesting. Uh, I'm a native Southern Californian, and my wife is too. We had to keep the race pure. So, <laughs> and I there was originally from Inglewood, and my wife was originally <laughs> born and raised in Compton. And we moved to Orange County some 35 years ago, and we have enjoyed a wonderful life here in Orange County. And the bottom line is that as we come here and as we try to do things, we try to put back into the community. And uh, this w allows us to do that. I hope I was hoping we could have done it in a much better way. But here we are. And, and uh, I'm just thankful when in 1995 we came together. And we actually, our first organization was the Orange County Citizens for the Prevention of Gun Violence. And we had a wonderful little, nice little lady, uh, Sister Marie Gayak from the Sisters of uh, St. Joseph's in Orange, Catholic organization, and uh, she has moved up to San Francisco now, but we still stay in wonderful contact with her. And we have board members now that have been with us since 1995, and they're still with us, and Amazing. we're very fortunate. <clears throat> Amazing. Can we talk a little bit about gun violence here in Orange County? Do you have any information yes. you can share with us? I sure can. and, and in, comes in, quite frankly, it's going to hit home right here on the UCI campus. Uh, I don't know if how many people, because we have sometimes a short memory, but a year, couple of years ago in Seal Beach, there was a salon shooting and eight people were murdered, the Salon 8. And we have, over the years, because of our background, been involved with victims and been involved. And one of the best things you can do with victims, Kimberly, is quite frankly, listen. Um, I know that there are people that I'll be walking down a hall and they won't know what to say to me and they'll try to duck into a restroom or whatever and they don't need to do that. Uh, you know, we have a nice group of regular friends that we don't bore them with what we do in the nonprofit world and if they want to ask, they will and we, and we answer, but if not, we understand that. But listening is the biggest thing you can do with a victim and so I was interacting with a few members of the Salon Aid as we call them and what came out over and over again was we knew this fella was going to go off. We just didn't know when. It wasn't if, it was when. Oh, that and is that such was a horrible the, place And that to was the in. difficulty. And then, quite frankly, just a couple of months ago, we had that tragedy in Isla Vista. Right. That was where the student was not necessarily mentally stable. He, he had been treated for a mental illness, but he had not reached the level where he had been adjudicated as mentally ill or incompetent. And that's important to understand also, Kimberly, because... It's a hard hard diagnosis to get. Well, it's a high, it's a high bar. And the other thing <clears throat> is that roughly only 4% of people who are adjudicated as mentally ill are violent. So we can't broad brush that area either because 96% of those folks are not violent and shouldn't be put in that category. That makes sense. Um, I want to just pause for a minute to say that if you're just tuning in, you're listening to 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is KUCI, and I am your host, Kimberly Martin, and this is Real People OC. And today we are interviewing um, Charlie Black, and Charlie is the um, the president of the Brady um, 
you want to say the full name of the association? The Orange Brady County campaign? Chapter of the Brady Campaign to Prevent Gun Violence. It's a real mouthful. It is a mouthful. Yeah, I wanted to get the campaign part right. Um, well, that's interesting because <clears throat> if I can, I'm going to interrupt on yeah, if please. I can. It's time. <laughs> Brady has two organizations. They have the Brady Campaign, which is a C4, which allows us to lobby and advocate. And then they have a Brady Center, which is a C3, which are our lawyers. And they're the ones who represent victims and go to court to challenge policies and so on. And the Brady C3 is a proper C3 nonprofit also. Okay. All right. Very good. And so this means that you probably have participated in some of the legislative actions uh, that you'd like to see come come to yes. bear. Now, let's be mindful as we have this discussion of how we can encourage anybody who wants to be involved um, to participate and find help me find and elucidate ways that people can participate in this issue should they be uh, feeling the call to do so. Well, my wife is our techie. She's wonderful. And she's put together a fantastic website. She uh, can, we, she can Twitter, she can uh, blog. And uh, the Brady campaign, we have a special website for California. And um, our local number is area code 949-206-9676. Again, that's area code 949-206-9676. That is our dedicated line for the Orange County Brady campaign. And you're welcome to give us a call, and we will direct you in the right and correct way. And f- to be informed by the website, let's give that out as well. Oh, I was afraid you were going to ask Oh, yeah, that. okay. So no, don't go there, Kimberly. We won't go there. I'll do now, a little now research. Now you got me in trouble with my <laughs> wife. <laughs> it's okay. I'll redeem him for you. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'll hold you to that. Okay. All right. Let's get back to some of the legislation. Well, I'd like that's... to get back to Isla Vista and the okay. vigil at UCI. Um because the parents of the young man who was the shooter there knew that something was wrong and they had contacted the police and the police actually went out and did a preliminary interview but the circumstances were such that they couldn't go any further because of the current status of our law. All right. Now, if, and I'll get to it in a minute about the current legislation, but if they had had an opportunity to really go forward uh, they could have, under our, this legislation that's on the governor's desk, removed those guns from his possession and so on. And I think it's important to understand that there's a difference between being adjudicated as mentally ill and being in crisis. Uh, I go into a lot of high schools and talk to juniors and seniors in high school because another area that we're very active in, in is suicide. And the major major victim of suicide here in Orange County is our older white males. But we also have teen suicides. And when I go into the classrooms, we talk about this because I have been educated to know that there's something called a glow minute. Kimberly, do you know what a glow minute is? No, I'm fascinated by the term. Yes. I was told by a panel of physicians that when someone attempts a suicide, within that first minute, they understand what a really ridiculous and stupid thing they just did, and they want to live. And so they will dial 911, and they will get emergency help. And the vast majority of the folks that live are able to be counseled. They will go on, and they will be very productive, and they're very thankful that 
this impulse that they had did not take their life. If there is a loaded, unlocked firearm available to them, and that's their weapon of choice for the suicide, they are going to be 97% successful. There will be no 911 call. The family, the friends will be terribly confused, terribly angry, and the person who attempted that suicide will be very, very dead. I mean, we have to do prevention, and prevention is having that gun in the home locked away, unloaded, with ammunition locked in a separate room. I mean, unfortunately, this major area of suicide is in our home, and it's just something that is a very tragic and preventable event. So. <clears throat> okay, now, the what I was doing, though, about our local impact is my wife and I actually came to the UCI vigil uh, that evening. And quite frankly, Kimberly, I was extremely disappointed with the organizers because it was very, very vanilla. You have to understand, Kimberly, that I was in college in the 60s. And if you go back and you look at some of the newsreels from there, we were pretty active and pretty much in the street and pretty much in people's faces <laughs> back in the 60s. And you should be uh, proud of The Vietnam of situation and so on. Um, so we chatted with the organizers, and their phrase was, we want to show solidarity. So I said, well, what do you mean solidarity? And it was, well, we can't talk about guns. And we can't talk about the violence. And we can't talk about policies that might have prevented this. And we can't challenge people to go forward. Uh, it Basically, it boiled down to let's come together. And I guess their idea of solidarity, well, let's cry for the people in Santa Barbara and then hope it doesn't happen here at UCI. And I was extremely disappointed. And fortunately, there was an African-American administrator who took the microphone near the almost at the end and challenged that crowd. And I hope they remember that because I just could not figure out why in the world we can't do something so that if a parent or somebody in law enforcement knows that there's a crisis and knows that their person possesses guns, let's get those guns out of there until we have an opportunity to evaluate the situation and to allow that person to calm down and get some treatment and save some lives. And that's what we're all about is prevention. Okay. So did they, were they able to communicate when they had that event on campus why they couldn't discuss gun violence no. and, and fact, mental illness? In fact, I had some handouts for the organizers, and I gave it to them. And <laughs> Excuse the expression, because I ha I've worn glasses all my life, but they looked at me like I had 17 holes in my head trying to... I mean, it, was a, it was a bizarre situation. I was really taken back. Oh, I'm so sorry if our generation has failed, it, it just, failed you. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, it is, it is interesting because um, it's... I don't know. It's like putting the rose-colored glasses on again. You just well, and I'm like, extremely impressed with the academic level here at UCI. Although I have to put a plug in, I was fortunate enough in 1989 to be the first president of the uh, Saddleback College Foundation. Oh, very good. All right, and I have a tremendous respect for our community college system. And we did a survey at that time, and we showed that the people who transferred from Saddleback for upper division here actually carried a better GPA for upper division than the four-year students here, upper division. And I want you to know, Kimberly, I crow about that every time <laughs> I get a chance. Uh, oh, but, fight on. Yeah, there just, we go. I just, uh, ha having having gone through the system in just that same manner, I, 
I can tell you exactly what the reason is that it's that it's better when you transfer it. You had a <laughs> okay. lot more time to mature, so that there's there's something good about so, that adopting good habits. And then I do need. I noticed that we were talking about, and you asked when we were chatting, just very uh, in a general sense about local issues and local impact. And I do need to talk about our Orange County Sheriff for a moment, if I may. Please. All right. Um, Sandra Hutchins, when she first was appointed by the Board of Supervisors some four years ago, came before the board, and I know because I was at that hearing, and she knew what the parameters were for people to qualify to carry loaded, hidden handguns in public. They're called CCWs, Carry Concealed Weapons Permits. Right. Okay. And one of the elements, now you have to understand in the United States, there is a shall carry and a may carry standard. And 34 of our states are what we call shall carry, where all they have to do is go in, complete a little paperwork, maybe show they had a safety class or not, and they must be given a permit to carry concealed in public. California is a May issue state where we leave it up to the discretion of law enforcement. And one of those elements is called good cause. And good cause in California is defined as a valid reason, a valid justification to carry a concealed loaded gun in public. The San Diego sheriff was sued over this issue. And we have a... Ninth Circuit, there are a number of judges, and there are three judge panels that sit on cases to start with. And in this particular case, two of those three judges said, we think that California's May issue is unconstitutional, Hmm. even though the Supreme Court has told us and defined it as only having a gun in your home for the purpose of self-defense. They also said that even though the Second, Third, and Fourth Circuits had upheld may carry, these two judges said those arguments are unpersuasive. But within that two-week interim, before that could become final, there were appeals, and one of the people who appealed was the top cop in our state, Kamala Harris, who is our attorney general. And they created a stay over that with what those two judges said. Now, Kimberly, you and I know what a stay means. It means that particular thing, that order is in limbo. Right. It doesn't count anymore. And when there's a stay, you go back to what it was before. Right. Okay. So Sheriff Hutchins, in her wisdom, said, well, wait a minute. California law has changed, and I can no longer require good cause, and I want the Board of Supervisors to give me a million and a half dollars so I can expedite all of these applications and get all of these folks out in public carrying without having to justify why they want to carry. All right. Now, with the law, with the Brady Center and myself, we sent a letter to Sheriff Hutchins, and we challenged her on that. And then the story became, well, it's precedent. It no longer became, quote, law. It became precedent. Right. All right. We challenged her on that because it's not a published decision because there's this stay. And I am absolutely convinced, as are a lot of the, in fact, all of the legal experts I've talked to, that once the Ninth Circuit takes this as a whole, and it's called embank, that they will vacate that and they will say, no, that make issue is a valid uh, standard in California. (coughs) Now, what really bothers me about Sheriff Hutchins is the gamesmanship. 
She was wrong about saying it's the law because even technically only the San Diego sheriff was sued, so it should only focus on San Diego County. And please understand that the San Diego sheriff has not changed his procedure one iota. He still is requiring good cause. So even the person who was the defendant in that lawsuit has not changed. So there was absolutely no rational reason for her to change. Okay. The next thing we have to understand is if she took a, and she hired 15 former police officers to expedite this, where did that million and a half dollars come from out of her budget? Where are the police services that we should be enjoying in this county now being cut? Because she wants to put more guns on the street. And we know from we know from studies that it's not only endangering us, it's also putting her own officers at risk because they now have to presume that that person carrying probably has a valid uh, permit. And that's just wrong. So help us understand um, what what could have been her intentions. Boy, I wish I knew, and I have, I, all I know is that there were a certain unique set of circumstances, and these are just circumstances mm-hmm. that um, when she first ran for sheriff, she was opposed, and then a while back, our chair of our board of supervisors complimented her on this new policy, and that, quote, she, in other words, they said, well, she's now gotten back in line, and so on. And then this last election, Kimberly, she ran unopposed. Mm. And I have, all I can say is that those are facts. You have to come to your own conclusions. Sure. Now, what really bothers me about having these folks out here with only saying, gee, I would like to have a gun for self-defense. Gee, I don't think that's a rational justification. But there are two names that your listeners should be reminded of. And they are Trayvon Martin and Jordan Davis. And if you recall, Trayvon Martin was walking back to a to his aunt's place after being to a convenience store to buy some Skittles. Right. And we know... They just didn't like him in their neighborhood. Just Well, Florida has a unique set of rules about this. Stand your ground where basically it's shoot and figure out what you're right or wrong afterwards. And uh, there's only two people that really knew what the truth for that evening, and one can't tell us, and the other I wouldn't believe. But more importantly, let's think about the Jordan Davis case. He was a teenager with three of his friends in a car playing what this person thought was loud music. The person who thought that was loud music was a permittee. He had a carry concealed weapon permit. This person fired 10 shots into that car, 10 bullets, killing Jordan Davis, and he was uh, and he was completely convinced that what he did was right so if we need to understand why arming all these folks is a threat to us think about jordan davis think about a teenager playing loud music allegedly loud music in a car and he's now dead more importantly let's go to a sporting event and let's say it was a really close event and there's a lot of beer flowing And then take a moment to look around the stadium or take a look around the Honda Center and say to yourself, if all these folks in this arena were armed, am I safer? Do I feel safer? And the question is answerable by saying absolutely not. And this is what we have to tackle. I am simply embarrassed for our Orange County Sheriff. 
Okay, good. I appreciate you sharing your opinion on that. And um, I have a caller. Would you be okay to entertain a caller for the show? Okay. I'm going to do my best not to hang up on our caller. You know how I am, everybody that listens to this show. I'm not the best engineer without my Heather. So we'll give this a try. Caller, can you hear us? Uh, Yes, I can. Okay, you're now on the air with uh, Kimberly Martin here at Real People OC. And uh, Charlie Black, may we know your first name? Oh, sure. My name's Hector. Okay, Hector, um, did you have a question for us? Yeah, um, uh, I believe it's Mr. Black. Yes, Mr. Black. Mr. Black. He mentioned that um, we, we are allowed to have weapons in our home, but we should keep our ammunition inside a different room and locked up and our guns in a different room locked up to protect ourselves. I just kind of find it kind of, honestly a ridiculous uh, statement to say that that's to, how, to protect ourselves. If somebody comes into our home and we have our ammunition in a separate room in a safe, and we have our gun in a separate room in a safe, what are, the, I mean, really you're going to be able to protect yourself, somebody breaking into your home? I mean, I just thought, I thought that was a little bit of a ridiculous statement. Another thing is he was mentioning the hypotheticals about, walk, you know, being in a stadium. What about the hypotheticals of, you know, that situation where all the uh, individuals were inside of a theater and, you know, if everyone would have had a gun there, I don't think those people would have died. And I think that there have been many situations where somebody in the public has had a gun and was able to save lives. But, I mean, you know, those, those things are always kind of pushed aside. And, you know, I'm not a supporter of the NRA because I, I do agree with uh, Mr. Black that it's kind of been, you know, uh, overtaken maybe a little bit. Right. But I, I still think that we should have our rights. and. And I understand that some things you got to be, you know, reasonable with with many things. But you know, it's some of the things that he's saying are a little contradicting. That you know, you could have the pie, but you can't eat it. You know. Well, so l- why don't you go ahead and let Mr. Blackie, sitting here listening to your call, um, address the first question that you had? Is that okay? Well, I can yeah, answer both awesome. questions for him if you'd like. Okay, good. So uh, let's Hector, uh, you have to review the National Rifle Association manual because in their safety manual they specifically say. That if you have a gun in the home, it needs to be unloaded and locked away. They specifically say that the ammunition should be in a separate room locked away. I was quoting the NRA safety manual when I said that. Not giving your opinion. Not giving my opinion on that. As far as um, folks, uh, you have to understand that when you do have a gun in the home, unfortunately it's 22 times more likely to be used on a loved one or a family member or a friend rather than an intruder. But if you want to take that risk, you're welcome to. And what was the third part? Uh, uh, the third question of if people were armed with their oh. concealed weapons in the theater, they could have oh, protected in the theater, themselves. Aurora, Colorado. We have yes. just um, our former L.A. police chief, who's now back in New York, uh, whose name escapes me right now because I'm a little old, they evaluated that, and they said if people had been in that theater firing back, there probably would have been more casualties because of the confusion and the crossfire, and the way that young man was armored and so on, they wouldn't have been able to take him out. 
More importantly, look at the Gabby Gifford situation in Arizona where that particular shooter was able to fire off 20 rounds. And in Arizona, anybody can carry. A fellow came out of the drugstore. Fortunately, he and he was carrying, but fortunately he did not shoot because he would have shot the good guy who was taking the shooter down. And, and the shooter was able to be able to be um, detained because he went to reload after he fired his 20 rounds. That's why I'm pleased in California we were also able to pass a law restricting the size of magazines to 10, no more than 10 bullets. And I remember uh, Barry Goldwater. This was an excellent way, and he was a diehard hunter and conservative, a senator from Arizona way back. And he frankly said, you know, if you can't bring him down in five shots, that animal deserves to get away. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you have to be understanding about prevention and statistics, and there are always certain anecdotes, but the overwhelming situation here is that you're just not, you're just putting your own friends and loved ones at risk when you have that loaded handgun there available uh, in your bed stand. So, caller, thank you for calling in. That was Hector calling in. Thank you for listening. Um, we always appreciate listeners' opinions here at KUCI. So um, we're drawing down on our time, and we have a really important issue that we do want to make sure we discuss, and that's the legislation that um, that you wanted to address. It's uh, AB, um, would you say uh, 1014, or do yes. you say 1014? 1014. Okay. 1014. I want to hear um, your description about that, because that's important, and that's something we all need to know about. Well, and and if your listeners can, in the ne- near future, get a pen and paper app ha- ha- handy, excuse me. I want to give them Governor Brown's telephone number because I think it's extremely important as an action item that they give our governor a call. You have to understand that with the Isla Vista shooter, the mother actually called the police department and wanted them to investigate, and she knew something was about to happen. And unfortunately, they didn't have the tools available to go into the home and to disarm the young man. Uh, AB 1014 is actually called the Gun Violence Restraining Order Bill. Uh, I'm really proud of our federal senator, Diane uh, Senator Feinstein. She wrote a letter to Governor Brown, and I'd like to quote a couple of parts of that, if I may. Please, yes, we have time. Um, She said, when the mother of the 22-year-old Elliot Roger saw signs that her son was dangerous, she could not prevent him, even temporarily, from possessing a gun. AB 1014 would give families the tools to take action under these and similar circumstances. And she went on and said AB 1014 would allow the immediate family member or law enforcement officer to request a court order prohibiting a person from possessing a gun for up to 21 days if there is, quote, substantial likelihood that the person, quote, possesses a significant danger of causing personal injury to himself or others. This is important, Kimberly, because we're not talking about adjudicating a person as mentally ill. Uh, Elliot Roger would not have reached that high standard, uh, that high post. But what we are talking about, and we're all familiar with something called somebody being in crisis. Right. And we know when they're in crisis, they're not thinking well. We know that with time, they can come out of it. With counseling, they can be put on the right path. But when we allow them to have these loaded dangerous weapons available to them, then we have tragedies like Isla Vista, and that can be prevented. Uh, this bill passed overwhelmingly in our legislature. It was enrolled last Friday. It's now on our governor's desk, and Governor Brown's telephone number is one nine one six 
945-9619. Again, that's 1916-945-9691. Yeah, okay. It's 9691. 9691. Yeah. Just wanted to make sure I had it Now, what's also important about this bill, Kimberly, is it's court monitored. So we have due process built into it. And... We've been working on this, even though this bill came about in the last three months, we have been working on this concept since the shooting in Seal Beach. And we found out that Connecticut and Indiana have similar statutes, and they have worked. And that's what's important here. Let's go prevention. Um, I'm reminded of the story about malaria and how we uh, would do things like, well, we would have the treatment and so on, and then uh, we understood about uh, uh, the water and draining, and then we went on to. But at some point, we had to talk about the mosquito. If we're going to talk about guns and gun violence and prevention, Kimberly, at some point in time, we've got to talk about the gun and the prevention of not having that lethal consumer product in somebody's hands who is in crisis. And that's what 1014 is all about. And it's just an excellent bill. And unfortunately, our governor has been inconsistent in the past with bills that he would sign or veto. And this one's so important that I hope your listeners will take action and take action today. Good. So that number again is 916-945-9691 if you want to make a call. Um, I always love it when there's really actionable um, items that people can that are listening can do something about it. You know... Um, what what did we learn from the Gabby Giffords incident, and was there any um, changes that we were able to see as a result of that event? Um, you know, giving some time from that to now, was there any meaningful jumps in um, preventing guns in the hands of criminals? Unfortunately, our federal legislature is so dysfunctional that that didn't come about. However, Kimberly, I have some good news for your listeners. Um, I was way back in the dark ages, I was a political science major. In fact, going back to my civics class in high school, I remember that our House of Representatives has 435 members, and every 10 years there's a census so that we adjust the membership for each state based upon population. The last census we had 53 Californians as a member of our House. If you do the math, that's approximately 12%. So what that tells me is one out of every eight Americans is a Californian. So what we do in Sacramento and what we do at our local city council level substantially impacts a real large number of Americans. And if you listen to The Economist, California either has the sixth, seventh, or eighth largest economy in the world. So what we do in that regard also sends waves. So it's important that we focus on what we can accomplish and... um, you know, we have, uh, we have some folks, unfortunately, I, uh, who represent Orange County who don't want to see, look at the prevention side of this issue. And uh, I don't want to pick on any one particular party because I am a lifelong Republican. Uh, at one point in time in the 90s, I was a member of the Lincoln Club of Orange County. But quite frankly, uh, the Republicans in our federal legislature from this county are, have always been and continue to be an obstructionist to this. Uh, the Republicans in our state legislature have continued to be obstructionists, and it's just sad because they're costing us lives. And again, that's my personal opinion. 
but uh, there it is. And it's important that we step forward. We can make a difference. Again, California, with our strong gun laws, we have reduced the gun mortality rate over the last 20 years by 52%, and that's 24% greater than the national average. So, Kimberly, we are making a difference. We can make a difference. The governor absolutely needs to sign AB 1014. His telephone number is 916-945-9691. Uh, I sound like Cal Worthington, but <laughs> no, you're uh, doing a great job. Um, that's so that's it's just it's so important. It it is important, and it's important to know if you want to be involved, how to do so. So, um, with that being said, I have the website um, for your chapter, and um, the website oh, <laughs> the website is um, uh, BradyCampaign.org, and um, you can search uh, do backslash California. Um, hyphen chapters if you want to search for Orange County. But when I did it, um, it came up with the Orange County chapter. So I don't know, a little bit of a smart computer here. So that's BradyCampaign.org if you want to be involved in any way um, with uh, with these folks that are trying to make a difference um, on the gun violence front. We have a couple more minutes um, before we're done with our time here. Well, then I hope um, that... Did you... Yeah, I, I hope was that gonna, the you want, oh, go governor ahead. might revisit an issue. And I, I need to and emphasize why it's so important for your listeners to call him on this one. We had a bill last year from a public policy standpoint that would have made so much sense. Um, It was a bill dealing with folks who have been convicted in the last two to three years of at least three, two to three DUIs, driving under the influence. We understand that if someone is so disrespectful of the law and so disrespectful of other people's safety that they'll get behind the wheel of a car drunk and drive, that they shouldn't have the ability to drive. We put together a bill that said, basically, if you've been convicted of these DUIs, then for a period of five years, you should also not be in a possession of a gun because I don't want a drunk, reckless, lawless person out on the streets also toting a gun. And Seems we had fair. surveys <laughs> that showed and, and studies that showed that the overwhelming majority of folks that cause problems, drive-bys and so on, were folks that were acting under the influence of alcohol And unfortunately, our governor could not see his way to sign that bill. He vetoed it. So when I say that he has been inconsistent with our gun bills, please don't take the idea that just because he's a Democrat and just because this and that, that we automatically assume he needs to be convinced that the overwhelming population and our surveys and our studies show that this is an important bill, that they he will sign it. And he is doing the will of the people. So, again, it's so important to get a hold of our governor. Okay. And then um, did you want to talk about AB uh, 1964, too, really oh, quickly? We I have about just, 30 seconds before we... Well, this shows you how time. devious the gun industry, the gun, some of the gun folks are, that it was an exemption. We have in California a tremendous number of safety standards that we've created. So when you buy this consumer product, it is a safe product. And one of the exemptions was a single-shot pistol. What these gun, some of these gun dealers were doing is they were converting multiple shot into single shot to avoid these safety tests. And then once it was sold, they converted it back to a multiple shot. And AB 1964, we were able to show that this was a loophole. We were able to close it. And now these semi-automatic models have to go through our safety exams and so on. And fortunately, the governor did sign that bill. But this is the type of mindset that we're dealing with in this area Kimberly, that folks want to try and and avoid 
a selling a, a handgun, a gun. It's a consumer product. It's designed to maim and kill. We've created safety standards in our state, and they want to try and avoid those safety standards, and I just don't understand that mindset. It doesn't really make sense, does it? It does baffle me. <clears throat> well, um, I have enjoyed the hour that we've shared with you. Wow, did it go by already? I told you it would. <laughs> I, yes, uh, you did. You warned me. Thank I, you. I had a, I had a feeling. Um, but uh, there, there's so much to this. And, you know, in looking back, all the legislation that we've discussed here today, not, not one bit of it would have prevented the senseless act that took your son. Because no. these were just criminals that were out on a mm-hmm. Saturday night that wanted to kill somebody. They weren't even really strongly committed to robbery. Not and, at all. And so I don't, I, I, I'm still left with that feeling of what can we do? If my son Matthew were standing here beside me, and if he said, to, if I asked Matthew, I said, Matthew, would you want to lock that person up for the rest of his life? Or would you want to try and keep that gun out of that shooter's hands in the first place? There's no question what his answer would be. Let's do everything we can to keep that gun out of his hands in the first place. Unfortunately, uh, the the opposition says we have all these laws, but 99% of them deal with after the fact, with criminal sanctions. We need to focus on prevention. I mean, we, we just... We can't child... We can't bulletproof a child, but we can try and sit, create a situation where we can prevent those bullets from being fired at him or her. And we should all, as a community, want to do something uh, and contribute. So a good way would be um, to join the Brady Campaign. Uh, that's BradyCampaign.org. Uh, if this is something that compels you, um, you can go there and find out more information if you're interested in getting involved. Uh, Charlie Bleck, it's been an honor to have you, and I am so thankful you came and shared your story and had the courage to to make this be what your life's charges, even even though the circumstances have been so... We do this to honor the memory of our son, and I, I can't, I just don't want other families to have to walk in our shoes. Absolutely. I understand. Well, thank you very much. And um, this is Real People OC. And um, I'm Kimberly Martin. And uh, join us each and every week on Thursdays from 4 to 5. And up next is uh, Matt Kaplan. And uh, Matt brings to you uh, Counterspin Radio. And then after that, he brings Planetary Radio. So um, stay tuned. Thank you so much. Goodbye.